Barbara Edmonds is a Kiwi success story. The child of first-generation immigrants, her mother passed away when she was young, and she had the first of her eight children while still studying her law degree. Barbara has overcome significant adversity on her way to Parliament. Much of her success she attributes to the policies of previous Labour governments, a party she is now a proud member of in her role as MP for Mana. Barbara, it's a pleasure to have you on Expert Talk. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Max, for having me. Uh, it's a bit embarrassing, actually, <laughs> that's true, but um, I accept it with gladness and thank you for acknowledging me like that. Uh, before entering Parliament, I understand you worked for IRD and as a ministerial advisor. During this time, you would have worked for both Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern, and I was wondering how these two different party leaders have shaped you, if at all. Um, yes, yeah, so I was with IRD for around 10 years. Um, I came in first as a policy analyst for five years. And so that particular role is developing tax policy, um, helping instruct um, drafters to draft the law, then being able to um, have it analysed and then advice to ministers and then walk it through the legislation process. Um, I was then um, a lawyer for a couple of years with them in service delivery. And then I came into the Beehive as a ministerial advisor for both uh, Judith Collins and Michael Woodhouse under the national government. Uh, so I was a private secretary for them. So I was a public sector neutral official. And my job I, for them was to advise them on tax policy. So the advice that comes from the department, I would vet it, make sure it's uh, of a good quality for a minister. Um, if I had questions, then I would send it back because if I can't understand it, how on earth is a minister supposed to understand it? So um, I then, when Labour came in, um, I took I switched roles. I became a political or a ministerial advisor, and that was for um, Stuart Nash, working under Jacinda, the first Jacinda Ardern term. And basically that job as a ministerial advisor was then to cover five different portfolios. So police, tax, small business, serious fraud and fisheries. And the purpose of um, being the ministerial advisor was, again, to vet government advice and to be able to provide that to ministers and then, um, depending on who the minister was, to be able to contest that advice or, or work together, sort of bounce ideas off each other. So working both for Judith and Jacinda um, have been a real privilege. Um, I say that even now when uh, I got selected as the Labour member um, the first two people I did ring, other than my family, um, was Michael Woodhouse and Judith Collins. Um, out of respect for them, they were both uh, really good ministers to me. Um, as a neutral public servant, despite what your political views are, you have a job to do. And with the tax system being so important to everything that we do in our country, um, it was really um, it was my job to make sure it was robust. And so Michael and Judith, um, I really enjoyed my time with them. They both had very um, different leadership styles. Um, but then having worked under Jacinda, I didn't work under her directly. I worked through the Honourable Stuart Nash. Um, again, just what the commonalities between both Jacinda and Judith is that they really wanted women to advance. So they absolutely put their money where their mouth is and they were um, great leaders to be able to work under. Learned lots of different things from the officers. Um, I would say in Judith's office, all her staff were women. And they were amazing. She still has, um, I think, one of her staffers who was under her when she was in government is still now with her in the Beehive. Um, just really strong, smart, really um, good critical analysis of um, both media and of policy. So um, 
two very different leaders, as you can as imagine, but both had that very same common value of being able to advance women, being able to support women to do what they want to do. If I could then, you mentioned during your maiden speech just on that topic of tax that you weren't much of a fan of tax. So I oh, not a fan. I, I said I, was, I didn't love the okay. tax. So um, I actually, my first interest in tax, I was relatively naive, if I'm really frank. Um, my first interest in tax actually came through um, Roman law, Roman history and law. So I did that at law school at Auckland University. And um, the story of where Emperor Justinian, where he pretty much collapsed the whole Roman Empire because he overtaxed his people and how that caused a revolution and then I mean, sorry, a, yeah, a revolt and then pretty much, you know, that was the end of the Roman Empire as we knew. So um, that was that was my first peak of interest in tax because before that I was just um, a student who was having children and trying to just keep my head above water studying and my husband who worked in a timber um, factory as a machinist um, you know we were more concerned about just putting food on the table if we're really frank um, and I wasn't really thinking about those big policy ideas because I just didn't have the capacity when you've only got eight dollars in the hand you're trying to make everything stretch of course so um, yeah so tax for me um, I'm definitely interested in it. Would I say I love it? <laughs> um, the thing is with tax law, it is so wide. You know, um, you've got both the administration side around interest and penalties, um, information sharing, um, the powers of the commissioner to be able to search. And then you've got on the other side, actually, what do we actually tax and, um, and the type of entities that we tax and how we tax them. Um, that stuff is all interesting to me. But I won't say that I love it. You know, I love chocolate. I love a good glass of wine, but I don't necessarily love tax. But um, it's absolutely important. And the, the basic understanding of it is something I believe that a lot of people in our country um, don't actually have a, a natural grasp of. But again, um, having been that student, being that mum, um, I can understand why, because you're just trying to put food on the table. And could you tell us about what you'd like to see, the main issues you'd like to have an effect on during your term? Yeah, so for me, um, I, I represent Mana, which is the electorate that covers, goes from Linden, which is um, north of Tawa, stretches all the way up to Kapiti Coast, um, and then to cover Romati South, Romati Beach, and parts of Paraparo Umu East. And then to the west, it covers Mana Island, so it would go around Titahi Bay. And then to the east, it goes all the way through to Judgeford and Pātahanui. So it's a really, um, it's a big electorate, but it's a really diverse electorate because it also has Porirua. So the main two cities are Porirua and Kapiti. When people think of Porirua, they think of poverty, and they generally um, don't have some good th thoughts about it unless you're from Porirua. Um, but the thing is with Mana is three quarters of our electorate are a decile seven and above. So they're earning above the median income and they're comfortable. They still have issues like everybody else, but their issues are very different. A quarter of our electorate are a decile two and below. So that's mainly in the Porirua east side, some parts of Alsdom, some parts of Titahi Bay. And the, the main issues there is um, very similar to what I was saying before putting food on the table, um, housing. Um, so those are the issues that matter in some of the areas that we have some of the biggest challenges, which is the east. But when, when you head to the north, you have similar challenges in the sense that we have a really older population in Kapiti. Um, when we were going through the campaign, a lot of people were saying, we're worried about our children 
about them being able to afford a home. Um, they're worried about the education that their grandchildren were going to be um, receiving. So for me, looking ahead in the three years, knowing that I have an extremely diverse um, electorate that doesn't really have a middle, um, those fundamental um, issues of good housing, of good quality local education, of access to healthcare um, and infrastructure, those are really big priorities for me for the next three years to be able to support. And being a backbench MP and having worked in the Beehive, I know that the role of a backbench MP, you're not the decision maker per se, but what you do is you feed into the policy making machine at certain points. And now that we're no longer in a um, coalition government, um, that process within caucus is extremely important. So we have processes set up where MPs can feed into the policy development. So for me, it's to be able to take the connections I have within mana and say if it's a housing issue, to be able to talk to people in mana that have housing specialty to bring forward their perspectives and feed it into the bigger policy machines so to help ministers make good, informed and considered decisions. So in some ways, still an advisor, but <laughs> with a... Um, a sort of a step removed and more connected to the community I serve. But I think for me, I'm looking more long term because underpinning all those massive um, challenges and the priorities are funding systems. So this is where my tax background comes back in. So the way that um, government funds both agencies and NGOs um, during the campaign, I found that a lot of um, non-government organisations were sharing with me that it's quite a competitive model. So there is a bucket of money and to do X, Y, Z. And then for NGOs, they have to bid for that money, um, which is great if they're set up. <laughs> but if you're an NGO that is does really good work on the ground and full of volunteers, you might not have the capacity or the frameworks or the knowledge to be able to set yourself up to be able to bid for that funding. So some of the groundwork that I'm having to do is to help connect some of these really good community organisations to, say, DIA, the COGS team, to be able to help them um, both become an entity where they can bid for this sort of money, but also to help them sort of structure themselves in a way that they can access that kitty as well. Because um, not necessarily, but, but the first question you have to ask them is, is this what you want to do? Because some NGOs just don't want to do it like that. Yeah, so that whole funding structure is really important to me because it underpins all those different priorities. So just pulling back to housing for a moment, I understand Porirua is currently considering changing consent requirements to enable six-storey uh, dwellings. Uh, what's your stance on that? Yeah, so that's the long-term plan, which um, I've had a good read of. It's currently up for consultation. Um, for me, it's around if you're going to do intensification, making sure that that's what your community wants. So the whole consultation process that they're going through, I actually really applaud our Porirua City Council the way that they're doing it. They're... Um, because the long-term plans, again, if you think about the mother who's just trying to put food on the table, have no idea how that sort of stuff impacts on them day to day. But what the council have done is they've actually gone out to their community. So they've held um, sessions with youth. They're going to the Pacific community, holding sessions with them. They're doing online community sessions. And they're bringing groups together that they can go to in order to take them through. These are the proposals that we're doing, including the intensification, what are your thoughts on it? Because if you really, I mean, I've done plenty of consultation documents for tax for a long time or been part of it or, you know, help to help develop them. If you just put them on a government web page and you don't actively push them out to the community or to stakeholders, 
you're only probably going to get those that have the time or have the money to be able to submit on it. But actually, as everyone will know, in order to get a full um, different perspectives from across the community, you actually need to go out. And to, to take a bit of a, an abrupt turn for a moment, how would you finish the statement, uh, the role of government is? Is to help its people. Jumping from that, how would you describe your own personal pol- political philosophy? Um, for me, I'm one that, probably to answer that, and this is a pure pol- politician, but you need to understand where I've come from and what has brought the journey that's brought me here. Um, for me, it's the care for children and for families. Um, my husband and I, we have eight children um, between the ages of eight and 16. And we've been heavily involved in our community and schools and sport because there are plenty of children in Porirua where we live um, that don't have access to that. And that sense of social justice, that sense of accessibility, that sense of equality and equitable outcomes, for me, that's rooted in my father when he came from the Pacific Islands. And he was he was that son who was the only one of 19 kids who became educated. He's the only one that went past four form. So when mum died, he had to reevaluate. He had to go on the DPB, support my mother through her cancer. And then when she died, he was a widower at the age of 40 with four children, um, ages 11 and under. So he then stopped working and looked after us kids on the DPB. And then what had happened was, but he didn't stop there. My dad got heavily involved in our schools because he believed the the key to Pacific um, betterment of outcomes was through education. So he immersed himself in the PTA and the Board of Trustees. He was that dad that would drive around the school um, van to go pick up produce for the school fair. you know. And so my father did a lot of that work. And then as well as that, he would encourage other Pacific families. Because I was brought up on Auckland's North Shore, which is a very parkier place. And the school I went to was a decile 10 school. And it was um, an all-girls Catholic school on part of the richest areas of Auckland. And there was only probably a handful of Pacific people, but my father would consciously go out and meet those parents and bring them into the fold because he knew that the involvement of families and parents in children's education is what would help them in the long term to keep them in school. So it all kind of goes back to that whole route of social justice, equality, access, and for me, that's the type of politician I want to be. And it doesn't matter whether you're Labour or National or Greens or New Zealand First, my job as a local MP is to make sure I'm accessible to whoever needs to come see me or if I need to go see them in order for them to access help. Because I see the role as the local MP as a connector. Basically, wherever the government system has um, not helped you, we have people come to our door to say, look, I've been waiting on the housing list for this, or I need your help with this, or I need your help with immigration, I need your help with Kenapuru Hospital. Um, they come and see us generally as a last port of call because they're desperate. And then what happens is me and my team, we will either one, connect them to the government agency directly who can help them because MPs don't have a budget, you know, and um, for us as as well as to advocate for them. So um, this morning we met um, on a local issue with a minister and there was about four different stakeholders in the room, including two mayors. So it's part of that whole advocacy as well. And just being able to connect people with the agencies, with the decision makers to help them make their life better. 
so you're currently in the role of associate whip as well and just on top of a long list of uh things that most new zealanders probably don't know about if you could uh, just give us a quick breakdown of the role of the whip and then how you're finding the associate whip position personally yeah, so the role of an associate whip is um, plentyfold, but the, the traditional uh, reason for a whip is for numbers in the House. Um, back in the day, you actually had to be physically in the House to vote, so the whip would um, actually whip you <laughs> into getting into the House to vote. Um, it's a, a little bit different these days. Um, so my job is making sure that when I'm on House duty um, that the MPs who need to be there are there because we have a, an office that supports us. Um, MPs are rostered on to be in the House at particular times. The whip has to make sure they're there. Also controlling um, the speed and tempo within the House because sometimes um, order papers, depending on what the bill is, what um, we're going to be debating, require that our members have to do particular things. So it's just, and then the other thing that a whip does, um, especially for our Labour caucus having 65 members, um, it's a big role for the four of us and it's just to make sure that they're, we're there to support our members. So um, helping them, one particular part that I'm involved in is the professional development for MPs. Um, most people don't realise, but there's no job description for an MP. And um, coming into Parliament is... Um, really different like even as a ministerial now having been a ministerial advisor I understand the flow of, of parliament but actually being an MP is totally different from being an advisor other than what I talked about before about advising or connecting people to advice so um, yeah really it's multifaceted but it mainly is around support but different from what it was back in the day around whipping for votes <laughs> of course just a few quick fire questions. Michael Joseph Savage, overrated or underrated? He's the man. <laughs> well, you know, I've talked about my father being on the domestic purposes benefit uh -huh. and social insurance. Um, that's come from Michael Joseph Savage. So again, my fa my mother died when she was 35. My father was 40 and he was a widower. So he had to give up his job. And the reason why he could is because the system that was put in through Michael Joseph Savage allowed him to be able to do that. And that's the whole point of it is the safety net that he provided. So absolutely the man. The decile system, underrated or overrated? It um, needs to change. Needs to change. <laughs> and, so. you know, and, and Labour has been pretty clear on that around some of the changes. Um, I've been involved in local education for a long, long time within um, Porirua, especially around Titahi Bay. And it's a very... Um, What's the word? It's quite it's crude, if that's the Balangi word, sorry, Pākehā word for it. Um, a crude measure of what it is. I mean, I used it to explain the differences I have within the electorate, mm -hmm. but there's but when it comes to funding, it's it's probably not the best measure to help target funding. Multiple middle names, oh, overrated or underrated? Uh, I have to say, um, okay. <laughs> What's that, over or under? Because I've got lots. Yeah. Uh, I'm Barbara, Rachel, Fati, Palipa, Edmonds. But every one of my middle names has a story behind it and a story that is supported by a very strong woman. So um, for me, it is, um, yeah, pretty special. I can't say over or under. Yeah. No worries. And finally, stay-at-home dads, underrated or overrated? Uh, I love my husband. He's been a stay-at-home dad for almost 13 years to eight children. It was his dream to be able to take his children to school. And um, I'm. some people would say you're his sugar mama because <laughs> <laughs> I've been the salt income earner for a, for a long time. But um, it totally, we need more of them because, the, um, you know, what fathers bring is different from mothers and um 
yeah, my children are definitely better human beings because of him being home. Yeah, that's why I go to work. <laughs> Thank you for coming on Taxpayer Talk. Thank you so much, Max, for having me and to the team for listening. The Taxpayer Talk podcast is made possible by the tens of thousands of New Zealanders who join or support the Taxpayers Union at taxpayers.org.nz. Constructive feedback is welcome via podcast at taxpayers.org.nz. And don't forget to hit subscribe or even give us a five-star review on your podcast app. Thank you.